0: Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise all across this room? We honor you, Lord, we bless you. Let your presence mark tonight. Let your presence mark this service tonight. Without your presence, Lord there is no power. Without your presence, Lord, there is no transformation. We thank you for everything you're doing here and now. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody who agreed said, amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. It's an honor to be here, and I do want to honor my pastor, my pastors, Pastor Omar and Letty, and we thank you for how you've allowed God to use you to bless so many of us. And I was just telling this a little bit of the, I don't know if I, how much time I have. But I can't see the timer, so I think we're good. Um, <laughs> I was telling this story on Sunday that uh, we actually, our ministry, when we first started filming, we did it at the church sanctuary. And we were actually doing live streams before live stream was a thing. So nowadays you can pull your phone out put on an app and go live right from your phone. But back back, in, I say back then, I'm not old, okay? I'm only 33. It's my year of crucifixion and resurrection right there. There we go. So it's a great year. Uh, but, but you know, I, I'm not, you know, old, but I can say things like, because technology has advanced so quickly, uh, say things like, back then, uh, we had to actually encode everything. And it was this very clunky Chaotic software that we had to use to put it together and i'm telling you we would broadcast on monday nights from that church in paramount and On some monday nights we would see god bless the live stream and the viewership would just skyrocket to like 30 people (laughs) And so we we you know the bible says that The Lord rejoices to see a work begin, so we should not despise the day of small beginnings. And I thank God that many of us were able to find the day of our small beginnings here in this network. So why don't you just give the Lord a hand of praise for the honor and the privilege of being a part of this ministry. And there are many, I mean, I can go across the room. My mom and dad are here. My grandparents are here. My wife is where, Jess, I know she sat in the back because Aria can disrupt the service. Where is she? Okay, there you are. Hi, dear. There's my wife, Jess. She's back there. Is Aria here? Did she leave? She's three and she left us. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, I can go on honoring Pastor Eddie's, Pastor Roxanne. Um, I I can't see anyone else's faces, but you know I love you and honor you. Um, I purposed in my heart tonight to stick to one goal, and I want to defend and highlight the beauty of the church. Now, the Lord really uses His Word as the primary means by which mindsets that are not of His Word are shattered. And I pray that there would be a breaking of mindsets as we move through the Scripture tonight to see just exactly how beautiful and how beautiful Effective, the kingdom of God is here in the earth through the means of the church. But I want to look at a portion of scripture here, and as we look at this first one, of course, we'll go through several more. I want to really, if possible, if the Lord graces me to do so, really surgically move through these different ideas and mindsets because sometimes the complication with mindsets is they're rooted in all sorts of different lies and so it can become very difficult to pinpoint that one lie when in fact it's an entanglement of various different paradigms that actually cause the problem and the confusion and so i'm not necessarily going to preach at you tonight i want to again just go through the scripture and really allow it to Correct us, and I'll put myself in there with you to correct all of us. The psalmist wrote, search me, O God. And in that prayer, he offered himself vulnerably to the knowing eyes of God, and the Lord searched his heart, and his prayer was that God might remove anything from him that wasn't of the Lord's nature. So let's start by going to a very popular scripture here, Hebrews eleven twenty-five. Where the scripture says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, when it comes to spiritual realities that we experience in the day-to-day, we have to understand that all spiritual realities are dynamically connected to practical living. And I think that if we go between two extremes, we never really will find that one balance where we find effectiveness. You know, on one side we have some people who think that to be spiritual is to be strange. And that's not necessarily the definition or that in order to be effective or really deep that they have to be bizarre. And I'm thinking many cases actually show that they're not actually deep in the word, they're just deep in some strange doctrine. And so, there's this bizarre extreme, and then on the other side it can be entirely intellectual, it can be entirely about doctrine, it can be entirely about the system itself, and neither extreme is healthy if we're going to see God's hand move in the same way that they did in the book of Acts, because the reality is that there is a system, and there's also a spiritual dynamic to everything that God will do in the earth. Now, looking at this scripture, Hebrews 11.25, Many people will listen to that and there's lots of excuses that sound clever but aren't actually Biblical in nature. I won't read the entire text but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12-21 through tell us of the way that the many parts of the body all work together intricately and effectively and the fact that every ministry has been assigned by the Holy Spirit, every gift has been hand-selected is demonstration to us that God has chosen for all of us to work together. So let's first get this correct, that we as the church must gather and we must gather in person. There are excuses that arise, and a lot of this stemming from the pandemic. I, I noticed that there was like the rise of isolation, the rise of fear-mongering, the rise of what I call the Christian conspiracy theorist. But here we see that the scripture is telling us of the fact that all of us together make up the body. You've heard it said, I don't have to go to a church. I don't need to step foot into a building. I myself am the church. That is partly true, but you're missing what Paul the Apostle is actually saying. It is only when we come together that we are the body of Christ. And so people have this disdain for something that's organized. They say things like, well, I don't want to be a part of organized religion. What do you want to be a part of? Unorganized religion? Chaotic religion, confusing religion. Name me one thing that God ever did that was unorganized. Name me one thing that God ever did that didn't have to it a system. We live in a universe that is built upon systems, the physical laws built on systems, the earth, an ecosystem, in a solar system, your body filled with systems. Why would the church be any different? And there's this popular disdain that has become uh, really prevalent nowadays, and they say things like, well, I want to do things outside of the four walls. And I understand this thinking because, again, I'm coming to you as an evangelist. I believe in going out, crossing the oceans, crossing the online streams, and winning as many people as possible. But even as an evangelist, even as someone with a media ministry, I know that the fact is that there is no ministry... There is no organization. You can put it all together, take the largest crusades from the biggest names from the past hundred years, combine their effects together, and you will come nowhere near the effectiveness of evangelism that the local church has. That's the reality. So. This disdain, the four walls, I get it, the idea is that if it's within a church structure, if it's organized, if it's planned, if it has a system to it, then it must be fake. And they think that all real ministry takes place on the streets. Well, it wasn't as if Jesus was some hippie-like figure who was just roaming the streets aimlessly and ministering to people as they came his way. Jesus would actually go into a city, find a synagogue, he would gather a crowd, preach the word, and then perform the miracles, and it was only between this assignment that he was actually stopping in the streets. So there is something to be said of ministering outside the four walls. There is something to be said of going out and ministering on the streets, and going to the parks, and going and evangelizing at work, but I really think that this actually stems from spiritual pride, this idea that says, well, them over there, they're the organized snobs and I'm over here, I'm, I'm doing the guerrilla warfare, I'm on the streets I'm doing the real ministry and again this just comes from spiritual pride and these are people, a thinking a group that has begun to call themselves the remnant as if the rest of the body of Christ is somehow going to infect them with compromise and they, they treat the rest of the body of Christ saying things like, well, you know, I don't do it like them, we're not like that, we're, we're real, we ha- we're the real deal. I'm out there on the front lines. And they call themselves the remnant, but when they don't gather, they're actually the rebellious. And the issue is not that they don't like organization. In most cases, is that they don't like accountability. And so this idea that the gathering of the church, that the system of the church is somehow not God's plan... Well, that's just not nonsense it's not something that we actually see in scripture now this doesn't mean that we can only attend church in organized structures like this or in buildings like this it just means that there's no need to criticize a very beautiful and important aspect of god's kingdom All of it is necessary, and we have to be rid of this idea that says that because it's organized, because it's a system, because it's polished, because there are people who have systems that they've implemented for their ministries and methods, that it somehow doesn't count. That's just not the case. Storefronts and houses and church buildings and dorms, coffee shops, parks, schools, etc. All of it counts, but all of it is organized. All of it is a system with Christ as the head of the church. Now, having said that, this has actually gone much further in terms of the criticism that's leveled against the church. People love to bash the church. And they do it in movies, they do it in TV shows, they do it in the public square, and nobody really questions that. And as the church, I think, well, we accept that in many instances the criticism is well-founded. I think that we as the church have done a very, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing the church, but my goodness, we, 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 we sometimes, we, we retreat in the face of popular opinion, and, and, and we allow people to take control of these narratives, and then we just accept these narratives as if they're just true because everyone repeats them. And one of those narratives is that the church is just some wicked, horrible system with all sorts of evil things going on inside and while we acknowledge that there are problems in the church the church itself is christ's bride that's a beautiful thing that god has implemented in this world and so we as the church have kind of just instead of defending the church because we want to save face and we don't want to be embarrassed or we don't want to be swept up along with those beautiful ministries that are being criticized in the public square we kind of say oh yeah well i'm going to separate myself from that that's not us that's them and what you're actually doing is moving that line and making it easier and easier for them to push back on the reality that the church is actually God's system. Yeah. And so we say things like, well, you know, that's not us, that's them. That's not, that's, not, that's not our organization, that's their organization. Well, what are you going to do when people start coming against you and your church and your organization and start spreading lies and misinformation and twisted narratives and then everyone else starts to separate and says, well, we're just not that way, <laughs> we, we, we allow that line to be moved, and we just come into agreement, we, we put our arms around them, yeah, you know, you're right, we don't like the church either, we want to be that cool kid that just is accepted, yeah, we don't like them either, and we've all just kind of bought into this narrative that the church is just this deeply flawed, fundamentally, I'll tell you, fundamentally speaking, for the most part, the church is very grounded, fundamentally speaking the church is doing good and that's the power of a narrative this is something i really started to observe especially during the days of the pandemic and then thereafter it's just like it opened my eyes to see just exactly how narratives are formed and how how, how framework is put into place and really what these narratives are are strongholds A narrative is a form of a stronghold, and the enemy does, in fact, deal in narratives. Think of the fact that at the first temptation, when the enemy was confronting God's creation and tempting them, and really trying to draw them into this fallen state, that the first thing he did was contradict the truth. He took hold of that narrative. Did God really stay? And he began to get them to question things that they should never have questioned, now, there are four narratives that I've seen that the enemy has really been working over time on, probably since around 2018, 2019, and then onward. And this isn't the entirety of the message. I just want to touch on these real briefly, and then I want to talk about just the things that really a healthy church will do and just how, in fact, it does uh, benefit us spiritually. And I'm also going to talk about how we can be... More beneficial to the local church and really deal with some of those misconceptions that cause us to complain when we should be grateful. Uh, but that first narrative that I've seen, I call conspiracy Christianity. Whenever you pull people into isolation and there are no checks and balances for them to run their think- thinking by or their thought patterns by, you're you're left with very strange ideas and when you begin to isolate people there are doctrines of demons that are born out of fear born out of pride and really ultimately produce isolated angry hypercritical individuals who we might sometimes call heresy hunters who we might sometimes call conspiracy theorist christians but we saw this during the pandemic the rise of what i call the conspiracy christian where everything needed to be overly scrutinized and this is the problem i think is that many people think they have discernment when what they have is criticism the gift of discernment is not the gift of criticism the gift of discernment is not vague something in my spirit the holy spirit doesn't talk like that (laughs) you think the holy spirit drops hints something about this ministry is not right i'm not going to tell you what but something is just not right and really what is actually happening is these are people who are being challenged by the word challenged by accountability challenged by holiness and then turn on that ministry and call it something that it isn't what you see in the church is more often a reflection of your own heart than it is a reflection of reality people will sit and criticize every sermon. You know, being online, I find that no matter what your opinion is, someone is going to disagree and angrily so. (laughs) Facebook theologians and YouTube apostles and internet evangelists. Coming out of the woodwork, if I preach on healing, you forgot salvation i preach on salvation well you got to teach him about discipleship i teach on discipleship well brother david don't forget we need to cover the spiritual gifts and for every topic you cover there's something you missed for something you didn't cover there's something you could have added even more to the next thing and it just never ends varying opinions and varying ideas and these people with their spiritual tinfoil hats will sit back <laughs> and if you miss one little thing they got you you miss one thought, they're going to leave the church, and they're going to try to make sure to take people with them because in their minds they're defending the faith. When, when the scripture that talks about defending the faith in context was actually talking about people who say that the grace of God allows you to live unholy lives, Not, again, that's hypocrisy at its finest to say that context matters and then ignore the context of the scripture that says to defend the faith. So these are conspiracy Christians... And what they've done is they've begun, here's the problem with the internet, it's connected a lot of people with a lot of bad ideas. When before it was just that one or two individuals who left the church, now they're, they've all found each other. And, and, and it's, it's causing this community of conspiracy Christians to get together and just really have a good time blasting the church when, when that which they're criticizing is doing more than any camp of criticism has ever done. The second thing I see the enemy spinning these these narratives is this idea that doctrine has to divide us. Now, let me be very clear. There is a time for division. But heresy, by definition, is not anything I disagree with. Heresy, by definition, is not anything that my culture didn't teach me or that my last pastor didn't say. Heresy is a violation of the fundamentals of the faith. A fundamental of the faith would be something like, Jesus is God. Or, Jesus rose from the dead in bodily form. These are the things that we unite on. But the enemy has really pushed this division in this season, and and people, instead of questioning each other's doctrines, they go right to questioning each other's motives. It's amazing to me that someone can stand on a platform and passionately preach something that you agree with and because you agree with it you say wow that was bold but the moment they say something you disagree with you leave the room saying how arrogant how prideful well when did we start questioning each other's motives instead of having discussions about these doctrines I'll give you one example this once saved always saved versus eternal security make a video on YouTube about that and I promise you you won't want to make another YouTube video again but I thought about it more, and I thought, what, what, what a pointless debate. I mean, it really is, and it's just people wanting to show off how much knowledge they imagine that they have, and, 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 and what it is, is, is you're looking at this one individual, and if someone on the, the side of the camp who says, I'm, I believe once saved, always saved, and that man, he came to church, he gave his life to the Lord he backslid went back into his old ways and he no longer bears the fruits in keeping with repentance so i believe that man was never saved and then the person on the other side who believes you can lose your salvation looks at that same man in the same situation and he does he says no it's not that he was never saved it's that he lost his salvation well who cares you both agree that he needs jesus and so these doctrines that don't matter Pre-, mid-, post-tribulation. What do you believe? It's very important because if we're going to stay in your church, we have to make sure that everything aligns exactly with the way I want to see. Well, I'm pan-trim. It's all going to pan out in the end. And, and, and you say, well, you got to prepare them. you got to prepare them. Okay, well, you believe that the tribulation takes place at a certain point. You believe in pre-trib? Okay, what do you believe? You believe that we have to live holy, stay close to God, And keep in prayer. Great. If you're mid-trip, you believe the exact same things. If you're post-trip, you believe the exact same things. We're all preaching to live spiritually dynamic and strong lives. Why would it matter? And so these are just examples. I go down the list of all the different doctrines. And again, the enemy trying to divide us on these things. And this is a misunderstanding of what is primary, what is peripheral. And we can all find common ground on the fundamentals. Another thing the enemy is pushing is cultural clashing. Now, I can get into a lot of trouble here, but I don't speak the truth just to be antagonistic. I'm never purposefully antagonistic, but sometimes the truth does antagonize. And really, in this season, we've seen this narrative being pushed against the church, specifically from the culture of the world. Well, why anyone in the first place would take their cues from the culture of the world is beyond me. But we have to recognize that, that truth just doesn't change. Truth does not change. And the word of God is the highest authority, period. That's what we believe as Christians. So let me give you an example of how the enemy uses a cultural clashing as a narrative against the church. I'll just use one example. Let's take, for example, the purity culture. Now, I remember, and Pastor Eddie, you remember, we did this, these retreats, True Love Waits where we all made commitments to sexual purity. And this is actually a really good thing, where you teach on sexual purity, the purpose of sexual intimacy and so forth. And and what happened is the culture over time, the church didn't change, the truth didn't change, but the culture over time begun to become more and more angry at the truth. They, They just don't want to look at the light because they're comfortable. In darkness, and so they call good, evil, and evil good, and, and they, they progressively went away from the truth and Now we have this push against what they call toxic purity culture, and they say it 's just shaming people for things that they did, and then the church, again, wanting to be the cool kid, puts their arm around you know what you 're right that was toxic of us now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute since when did holiness become toxic? and and i understand look there are churches and ministries that are very legalistic that could do some heavy psychological damage in this area we acknowledge that but fundamentally speaking teaching people to live holy lives is not toxic and people get angry well you know it made me feel bad well we should feel bad for our sin but the bible says godly sorrow works repentance and it's not that we want to shame for the sake of shaming it's that there's this conviction of the holy spirit that comes upon the life for the purpose of redemption and again the church just let the line move back you know you're right let's not talk about that anymore as specifically or as aggressively let's just surrender that to the world meanwhile they're pushing things on your kids through cartoons and movies that are vile and horrific and we just surrender that line why why did we surrender that line why, why did we just say you know what? yeah you're right well, we're not like those other churches who did that. Just because someone is hurt doesn't mean they're right. Say things like, well, I went to that church. I've seen it documentary after documentary, podcast. Look, if I know how media works, I know how you can leave things out of stories and twist narratives and create a really I could do it to any one of you. Follow you around with the camera. Pick little articles about what you posted on Facebook and YouTube and whatever. And, and we could make you look like a pretty horrific human being. To anyone, that's possible. And again, I'm not saying there's not mistakes being made in the church at large. But really, there's this great attack against the church itself. And we're just not seeing it. They told me I couldn't see my family. Okay, that some cults do that. Yeah, we agree. They told you you couldn't see your family or they ask you to be committed to the cause, and that cost you some time. <laughs> let's really, let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Because I've never heard anyone complain about their jobs, you know, well, it cost me time for my family, and they say, well, they pay me for that. Well, good, isn't, isn't what we do for the kingdom more important than money? So, so anything that asks for your commitment or takes up any of your time where you have to rearrange your schedule, now you're going to go and complain and say, well, they, couldn't, they didn't let me near my family and they would, they would enslave me to the idea. Like, no one's, no one's forcing anyone. And this is just, again, again the culture producing uh, emotionally, mentally weak individuals. And I don't, say that, I, I don't say that as an insult or to try to be antagonistic. This is a reality we're facing. They told me what I could and could not eat. Okay, They, they told you what you could or could not eat or, or they, they taught on the biblical principles of taking care of your health because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. They told me what books I could read. And, what, and you know, it's always framed in that way. Oh, I wasn't allowed to read this and watch that. Okay, they, they told you what books and movies and TV shows you couldn't read or consume or they called you on some inappropriate material that you were bringing into the church. So they were abusive. They were abusive or they were honest with you. They rejected me. They rejected you or they challenged you to reject your sin. You see, these are the narratives that they spin. And and again, the church just kind of, because we don't want to get caught in the crossfire, we kind of just back up and say, oh, we're not like them. Do you realize we're losing ground like that? That's how it happens. Now, I read this really interesting um, Twitter thread. Don't worry, I researched it before I... (laughs) Twitter's not exactly always the best source of information, but there's an, uh, an individual by the name of, uh, if I pronounce his name correctly, Josh Howerton. You see what I'm doing? Uh, I'm gonna leave this word out to those starting in ministry. Give credit where you get the material, because sometimes we know. Uh, Josh Howerton, uh, his Twitter handle, if you're curious to see the data points that he compiled here, uh, as at Howerton Josh, H-O-W-E-R-T-O-N-J-O-S-H. This is what he writes. He says there's an absolutely ma-, and as I go, he gives the data points. There, we're just not going to have time to do that. He says there is an absolutely massive gap between the cultural slash Twitter narratives about the church and reality. Culture, evangelicals, and talking really about Christians. That's the don't don't think politically. That's the term they use. You're evangelicals to them. Okay. <laughs> Culture, evangelicals aren't really pro-life; they're just pro-birth. They don't care about babies after they're born. The data says conservative Christians adopt more than any other population segment, more than doubling the norm. Culture says the church is sexually repressive and anti-sex. That's a callback to purity culture. But the data says church-going conservative Christians are in a category with the most fulfilling sex lives. Culture says the church is emotionally repressive and destructive to your mental health, Watch, this is amazing. The data says regular church attendance dramatically, that's emphasized, improves your mental health. Watch this. The only people in the U.S. whose mental health improved in 2020 was regular church attenders. (laughs) Culture. Culture says evangelicals don't care about the poor. They just care about political power. The data says church-going Christians are exponentially, not just a little more, exponentially more generous to the poor with both time and money than the rest of the population. Culture says the church is oppressive to women, a tool of the abusive patriarchy, and creates toxic relationships for women. The data says conservative Christian, again, that's you, they just kind of lump us all under that term, okay? Conservative Christian gender traditional church-going women are in the happiest relationships in America and abuse decreases 50% in this category. (laughs) Culture says the church is morally backwards and bad for society. The data says that the church is awesome for society. And that the higher the church attendance, the lower the burglary, larceny, robbery, assault, and homicide. The culture says church is irrelevant or ideologically and emotionally harmful to raising children. The data says that regular church attendance significantly decreases all of the big three dangers of adolescence, which are depression, substance abuse, and sexual promiscuity. Culture says the church doesn't help your marriage, the divorce rates are the same. That's a common myth and it was actually done on a study based upon people who claim Christianity and not done on the study where people who were included that actually attended church regularly. The data actually says that conservative Christians who attend church regularly are 35% less likely to divorce. The culture says church is a waste of time. The data says regular church attendance literally gives you more time, increasing life expectancy by up to seven years. So, so the church is by no means perfect. But good Lord, we've got to stop buying into that narrative. That comes from the pit of hell it's the devil at work I'm telling you I'm so tired of it we just kind of go along with it yeah you know we agree the church has a lot of work that we let's have conversations about the church and let's have conversations about the system but no let's just get to work let's just start winning some souls let's get to doing what we do best The church is the place where captives are set free, where drug addictions are broken, where marriages are improved, where families are restored, where bodies are healed, where demons are cast out. We believe that. Let's not buy into this. People say things like, well, you know, David, the church is responsible for turning so many people off to the gospel. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus gave us the verdict in John chapter 3. He very clearly tells us why people reject the gospel. And it's not because of the church. It's not because of someone else's hypocrisy. Jesus said they reject the light because they love darkness. And they're just using the church as a scapegoat. I won't have much time to spend on the fourth narrative because I want to get into my other points here. But but the other narrative is really this fear-based living. You know, I many of you know and I talked about this in, in one of the books that I released, and we are re releasing this isn't a plug, <laughs> I sound a typical evangelist plugging his book there. I could hear Pastor Omar. You gotta plug your book, digger, right there. <laughs> 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 but you know, I, I'm working on a book and it's gonna be out in summer of next year. It's called Holy Spirit the Bondage Breaker. And it's, it's, um, I think the subtitle, the publisher hasn't approved of the final one yet, but something along the lines of experiencing permanent deliverance from mental, emotional, and demonic bondage. But, you know, in that book, I talk about my severe battle with anxiety. My, my parents here know, my grandparents know, Isaac and Lizzie know, Pastor Omar knows, um, Eddie and Roxanne, you guys know, Pastors Eddie and Roxanne, Steve, you guys all know, Jess especially, Where are you still there, dear? Okay, good, making sure. Um, you know, I'm I heavily with anxiety, and I'm talking... There was one stretch of time where I was having two to three panic attacks a day for like a year and a half, two years. And it was bad. And it was just to the point where I kind of like, I timed my panic attacks, had to make my schedule around when I usually... And, you know, there, there, I'll go, I go into the book, so you have to buy it. I go into the book um, under the details of what happened there. But, you know, as someone who has battled with paranoia and anxiety... And overthinking i can see i can connect the dots as to how fear gets a grip on people that's why i was so angry like like righteous indignation i was so angry to see how people would just fell under this spell when the pandemic hit now look i was right there with, and this is not i'm not trying to get political guys so so don't don't even start okay I think I think I think CNN and Fox both a bunch of false prophets okay they all are pushing fear just whatever fear works for their agenda okay but 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 there was this this push for like and I'm thinking did did we not have viruses before 2020 like most people don't connect those dots. And I'm not saying, well, I'm so much smarter than you. No, I'm just more paranoid than you. And, and, I, know, and I know how that works. And I, and I would watch that. And I, I, I started connecting dots, and I saw what they were doing. I saw what they were doing. And I knew, remember, we were driving back from Arizona, guys. And I got on camera. I said, we are not stopping our services because this is a, a media effort. Now, now, I know half are going to applaud, half are going to, you know, boo if they could. But <laughs> this isn't about just that i'm i'm saying i i saw this this spell that people came under and and it was and part of it was the people who were afraid that was part of it of of the actual problem which there was a real problem in terms of health that was a real virus we know that but then it was the people who were afraid of the people who were afraid of the virus who didn't want to be called out by them and we all just kind of like placated we all, we all played this charade. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I determined a while ago, I'm, I'm just not gonna live in fear. I'm not gonna live in fear. Now you, you, you may say, well, well, Brother David, here's the stats, here's what can happen. This is how narratives work. You know, if I wanted to make a narrative that Pastor Eddie only wears white shoes, <laughs> I would take footage from tonight and I would ignore every time he didn't. And I would just push it, push it, push it, push it, push it. And, and even the way headlines are written, people just, it, it, I, I get so angry at how, how manipulative it is. Because I could see with every story exactly where they spun it. Exactly how they twisted it. Now again, this isn't a political statement. It's not even a health statement. It's a spiritual statement about the nature of fear. And the church has a job to do. I'm going to challenge you now as someone who sees how it's worked, someone who's battled with anxiety. I watched as a nation fell under the power of anxiety and panic. And I recognized it every step of the way. The what if. The back of the mind, well, maybe it's not as bad and then another story, but what if? And some people still under that. And these are the four different narratives I've seen thrown against the church. And they've caused a lot of criticism for the church. So if that's not what the church is, what is it? And I'll spend a few minutes talking about this. Are you receiving this tonight? I'll spend a few minutes talking about this. Let's go now uh, to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met at at homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Here we see several different things listed in the church. And this is part of the beauty of it. Once you've had these lenses removed from your eyes through which you look at the church. Once you start to see that many of these things are exaggerated and twisted and deceptive. You begin to see the beauty of what God has designed begin to come to the forefront. We see that the church together all financially contributed to a common cause. So if you don't believe in Old Testament tithing, do New Testament and sell it all. Someone said, I'll stick to tithing, I'll stick to tithing, I'll stick to tithing. Melchizedek, yes, yes, yes. They heard sermons, they fellowshipped. Here's some here's one we have down. They shared meals. They took communion and they prayed together. That's the purpose here of the church, and you see these things beginning to function. Now, number one, they heard the word. Or the word was taught. This is one of the functions of the church. The church has been entrusted with the message of the gospel. Yes, but also the doctrines of the faith that shape the spiritual life of each and every one of us. In First Timothy four thirteen and Ephesians four eleven through thirteen. We see examples of teaching and the use of Scripture. Now, there's this idea that we don't need people teaching us. And again, back to these narratives. I don't follow man, I follow Jesus. Good, because Jesus gave you apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Well, Well, I have the anointing within me that no man should teach me. Well, good, then someone should teach you that that particular verse is not talking about being taught doctrines or being taught spiritual truth it's talking about the acknowledgement and inner knowing of your salvation why would jesus say here are some teachers but you don't need them he wouldn't so we've been given teachers and spiritual leaders to look over our souls to watch over us to minister to us and help us grow to bring correction and while the word is being taught again on our side as attendees as church members we have to be careful to not become nitpicky and tear apart every single message i think sometimes it's what it is is it's like this sense of control this sense of importance and really i've noticed a somewhat of a psychological profile on people who do this sort of thing and again this is not me trying to be hypercritical, I know I can come across that way, because I'm just very direct, but, but I'm not, I, I say this with all compassion for the one who suffers with this. I want you to notice that the people who nitpick usually have nothing going on in their own lives. And again, that's not, I'm not slamming, I'm not saying, don't go, yeah, get them. Okay, that's not, that's not what we're doing here. But, but, but what it is, it's this, this they're, they're searching for something that gives them a sense of authority and power. And so if they can sit back on a Sunday morning and just kind of sit there with their notepad as if anybody's going to look at their notes, right? well, the pastor said this, this, and this. That's, that's our responsibility. God's given us the church, and what should we do with that? How should we steward this precious gift of being taught the word? How should we steward our teachers, our pastors, uh, those who will pour the word into us? We ought to respond with honor. We ought to look at the fundamentals and not nitpick, and we ought to appreciate what God has given to us. Yes, I understand that some abuse this. Yes, I understand that there are people who are very controlling, but can I tell you this? more often than not it's not that the leader was too controlling it's that the person didn't want to be corrected by the word more often than not so that's the hearing of the word number two there's this worshiping together Colossians 3.16 says let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Psalms were divinely inspired. They would actually sing from the Psalms. Hymns are, worships, are worship songs. Praise to God. And then spiritual songs are expressions of faith and expressions of truths. I've heard this often where people say something like, Well, well I didn't like the song because we weren't singing to God. We were just talking about our own faith. Well, that's a spiritual song. And I think worship isn't just this yes we understand worship is holy living it's it's our sacrifice to god that we do every day but do you realize there is a ceremony and a sacredness and a point in time for worship and sometimes i think we we get so hypercritical of what's happening in the music that we forget the moment we forget the presence there's a story about a pastor who was greeting people after the church service and a woman comes up to him just flustered and upset and she said, Pastor, you know, I didn't really enjoy worship today. He said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> Style doesn't matter. And then you get, again, both extremes. The people who are more cerebral say the worship was too long. The people who tend to be a little more strange are saying, well, the worship wasn't long enough. But, but both are being religious. <laughs> both of them are being religious. You think God is in heaven, arms folded, looking down at us, you know, I would have poured out my spirit had you worshiped five more minutes. Had you done one more song. And again, we criticize people. Well, they're too organized. They just go twenty minutes and that what how come God well, you don't think God can move in twenty minutes? Now look, 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 look. You're talking to someone who does like four-hour services, okay? All of our Steve, am I like four hours to four and a half each service? And it's about an hour and a half of worship. So that's that's where we lean. But again, to be hypercritical of churches because they have time constraints. Well, where did that come from? You're just as religious as the people who, who are on the opposite side of it. As if God was bound by time. As if God needed an extended period in order to move. And this is where we have to come to appreciate worship for what it is. Well, the music was too loud and I didn't like the lights and the smoke. Look, I I don't use lights, I don't use smoke. But look at Revelation 4. There's smoke and there's lights. (laughs) The throne room of heaven is, is, is a spectacle. Why can't worship be a spectacle and a celebration unto God? Why can't we do it with excellence? It's this consumer mentality. It's like we... we, Everything has to be catered to us. I want that customized. And and, and this is what we're missing. And some people will leave a church over the music when God would have done something with them there. Praying together. Acts 2.42 speaks of all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship at the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It's something they did corporately, seeking God as one, uniting over a point of prayer. And all throughout the book of Acts we see this, where the body of Christ would come together and unify on one prayer point, focus that prayer point, and begin to seek God on behalf of whatever the issue was. Corporate prayer is something that we ought to celebrate in the church. But again, on the other side... We, we can become even critical in this area. Well, you know, if we, if we really want to seek God, we're going to get up at 5 a.m. and they didn't, they didn't do it. Well, you know, Pastor, if we want to get really serious, they should, they should come Monday through Friday before work, 3 a.m. to 4 a.m., let's do it. Can I, be, can I just be honest with you? I'm not a morning person. <laughs> David said, early will I seek thee. Well, doesn't like the Jewish day start in the evening? You say, Jesus prayed in the morning. He also prayed all night. Care to join me for that? (laughs) Again, another point of criticism we can have. Prayer wasn't done on my timeline and so forth. But the principle is that we're praying together. And in that unity, we find the beauty. So we see several points of beauty coming out. Hearing of the word. The ministry of worship. A spectacle unto God. Number four, we enjoy fellowship. We see in Acts 2.42 that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship. And I'm not just talking about high and by. We're talking when we say fellowship about a knowing of one another to where it gets a little uncomfortable. You need people who can tell you when you are not in line. And if you don't have that, you're in danger. And then on the flip side here, now I'm really, oh goodness, hopefully my time's up. No, I still have some time. Okay. I I have to say it then. Um, You said, Pastor Eddie said, leave nothing left unsaid. I said, you sure? He said, yes. I said, okay. You know, we talk about fellowship and then, and then, and then, People will leave churches because the fellowship didn't quite click for them. And again, I understand, we, we, we emphasize this all the time. we got to be welcoming. we got to be a church that shows hospitality. we got to be a church that shows grace, that brings people into our homes. All of that. That's wonderful. But then on the other side of the spectrum, we have those who will criticize the church because, oh, they rejected me. Oh, they weren't being friendly. Oh, they say, oh, you know, the pastor has his clicks. <laughs> it was like a hierarchy. Yeah. Jesus had John. Well John wrote he was he was the one Jesus loved so maybe that's just his claim to it but we know he had Peter James and John that was his clique and then he had his twelve who would only hang out with most of the time as opposed to the others and he had the seventy two then he had the crowds. Jesus had clicks And in the book of Acts, we see that the apostles who wanted to devote themselves to the word said, look, you take care of the feeding program. Oh, it's a hierarchy. Oh, it's a system of oppression. Oh, look how they treat their volunteers. Well, wait a minute. Are you volunteering for man or for God? And then then it gets even worse because then you have people complaining, well, I went to that church and nobody would fellowship with me. And it's funny to me that that's a pattern that repeats. Here's a hint. And I say this again, please. I'm very direct, but please take this with grace and love because I love you. If you have the same problem in every church, it's probably not that they're unwelcoming. You're probably just a little too weird. Look, we get this so confused. We think that spiritual is weird. We're talking real dramatically. Speaking in King James. How you doing? Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And, and they say, I want to talk about the deeper things. The, d- the deeper things. What do, what do you mean, like end times? You mean like, what do you mean deeper things? You, you mean demonology? Or you? What, what, what do you mean deeper things? What about just showing someone love? Jesus called the weightier matters of the law. And, and, and see, what happens is, we, we, we come in very strange, we come in very odd and then we just expect people to just embrace that part, part of why God brought you to certain places was to help you get rid of that <laughs> I know this because that was me I thank God for Pastor Eddie and Pastor Angel where's Pastor Angel at we, we had our run-ins with you had your run-ins with weird diga you had your run-ins with weird diga. This This is weird, that digo was weirder. Okay. Everything was this and that and it was my you know and, and I thought that was it, what it was it was emotionalism, it wasn't spirituality. And so so what we, what do we want? Like like just constant, you know, stimulation of theology. That's not what it means to constantly fellowship with the Lord. You you know what fellowship is, how are you doing? how's the family what was was family not a gift from God you can't talk about family you can't talk about life you can't talk about what's happened and so so we we, we were strange and then we blamed the church well they just I'm just and, and we almost wear this like a badge of honor that that's identity. right I'm the rejected one you know and 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 this is really like it's become this 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 thing that we depend upon and and it's 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 our whole identity I'm the rejector, I'm the outcast. I'm, no, the Bible says you're victorious. The Bible talks about your position being seated in heavenly places with Christ. And so when it comes to fellowship, look, you, you're going to have to let the Lord correct certain things in you. And, and, and remember this, the Lord wants to change something about everyone to bring us all together. I, I've watched this. this was, there, was, there was a man who, and he's probably watching live, and he's, he's their house sitting for Jess and I right now. And he, I know, won't mind me sharing this, but Steve, you remember when when he came in, and Ish, I know you won't mind me using you. (laughs) This guy was just a little little odd. Ish was a little bit on the other side. We'll just say that, okay? And then I watched these two come together, and man, when they they first came together, the other guy was always offended, and you were always annoyed. (laughs) And it was just... So I purposefully... Now you know I purposely put them in situations with one another. And they're like this now. But you know what happened? And and he'll tell you, he became more spiritual. The other guy became more grounded. And 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 you know what they could have done? You you're you're this, you know, I used to call people you're outer court Christianity. I'm deep, you're shallow. Well well, deep people aren't easily offended like that. So we enjoy fellowship. We promote, number five, accountability. I'll have to move through these because I do want to pray. Number six, we encourage one another to good works. I'll park here for a little bit. Number eight is exercising the spiritual gifts. Let me end on number seven. And if you want more on this, youtube.com slash encounter tv. I did a, this was like a two-hour one, so if you're willing to sit through all two hours, it's on there. It's called How Do I Find a Good Church? Number seven is avoiding deception. Hebrews 3.13 says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Now, when this verse talks about daily, it's assuming that we're speaking daily. When, when, you, when you begin to... And you may not call it isolation. You may just call it doing your own thing. And If people don't know how you're really doing, how can they know what you truly believe? I mean, again, I, I, I know. I, I've, I've had my run-ins again with people commenting things and I've had to sort of just the Lord's helped me just to kind of toughen up in that area but there really is um, there are deceptions going around and I think that sometimes we become so fixated on what we think spirituality is, what we think deep means that we, we forget that the everlasting love of God his wisdom his compassion his power is most beautifully demonstrated in togetherness we hear our sister Diane who received bad news and she's staying here with us, why? because there's there's that power in togetherness you you talk about difficulty and you talk about relationship and people who truly know you that is where the power is. That's where the presence and the power of God begin to really work. And I'm not saying you don't have your personal relationship with God. You guys know I've taught extensively on private prayer and, and fasting and the anointing. And, and but, 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 but we cannot forget that to every spiritual dynamic, there is practical participation. And, and you, you may look at someone else as your enemy. And what do we do? We, we spiritualize that. We, well, that pastor offended me because he said this. That brother, I don't like. He's too weird. And the other one is, well, that one's too carnal. And it's just like, you don't realize that it is, it is when God meshes that together. It's that iron sharpening iron that the beauty begins to truly be shown. All of us have mindsets about the church and about each other that are preventing us from growing. All of us have something about our own character that needs to be transformed. All of us can be more like Jesus in one way or another. You need the weird guys like me. And I need the grounded people like you. We need the deep teacher We need the compassionate pastor. We need the gifted worship leader. We need the stern usher. You need that one that you have bitterness with. You need that one who left in a bad way. We need each other. And we'll never know the beauty. We'll never know the beauty of the church. We'll never know the beauty of the fullness of God's system in the earth if we are constantly criticizing, constantly battling, constantly dividing. It's time to rise above the division. It's time to rise above that chaos. We have work to do. Stop trying to win arguments and get back to winning each other. And if we as a network, if we as a network are going to really know the fullness of what God's going to do in here, we're going to have to make room for each other. We're going to have to make room for each other. And we're going to have to neglect and reject the the narratives about the church that the enemy is pushing, those four that I mentioned. And we have to reject the narratives about each other that we form in our own minds. You want that? Do you want that? How many say, I want that? Raise your hand. I'm going to challenge you now. And I want to pray with you. You're in this place and you say, I could, I, I have some mindsets that need to be broken. I, I, And maybe, maybe there are even some people here that you need to go and make things right. I don't, I don't care what the politics of the ministry are. I don't care what's. What the, what the situations were, the circumstances, how emotionally it affected you. We have to rise above these things. We have to. We, not like, okay, I, I love you, but I don't like you. Or we're good, but I'm not going to talk bad about you, but also I'm going to keep you. No, what is that? What is that? What is that? You're doing that to his bride. What if the Lord did that to you? I love you, but I don't like you. I'm, I'm, I forgive you, but you want to do a better job at this? You're saying, Lord, I'm ready. Stand up and come to the altar. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Don't look around and say, how crowded is it going to get? How, how many people are going to come before I I respond? How Can I get lost in the crowd? Just come. There's mindsets we need broken about the church, about each other, about pastors, about leaders. You know, there are people in this room who've offended me deeply, and I never went to them. I just let it go. There are people in this room I've offended deeply, and I probably don't even know it. And we just carry these things for what? Oh, God, forgive us for politics. Forgive us for maneuvering. And Forgive us for bitterness and forgive us for mindsets and forgive us for nitpicking and forgive us for for criticizing your church your bride I think there's still more who need to come I think there's still more the Holy Spirit is dealing with you I want you to stand up Don't, don't, don't resist the pull there's something to be said of acknowledging something like this together there's something to be said of acknowledging something like this together. The Holy Spirit's dealing with you, and you're still in your seat. You need to stand up and come down here right now. Let Him talk to you in this way. Let Him minister to you in this way. Yes, the presence of God is with you there, but there's some things that can only be dealt with when you've lowered your pride. There are some things that can only be dealt with when you've put it out there and said, "Lord, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, to hang on to this anymore." Steve, do we have that song, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice? Just get that ready. You know what it is that, that melts? It. And, and I'm not going to act. Don't go to somebody after say, I carry bitterness, I'm offended. Don't do that. Because sometimes I think we just use that as an opportunity to let them know how badly they hurt us. You're just going to let it go, okay? You're just going to let it go. And, and we're going to leave it here today at the altar. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to do a better job of, of the things we believe about the church and about each other. So hands lifted, eyes closed, very simple song. Sing it to the Lord. Let him melt it. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.